Welcome to episode 16 of Disky Discussions. I'm your host, A.B. Basson. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Joe Cran. Joe made a name for himself in South Africa as one of the top football journalists in the country during almost nine years at Sokola Duma. A diehard Sheffield Wednesday supporter, Joe now works for Sheffield Star, where he covers his beloved Owls and their fight for championship survival. Joe, thanks for joining me on Disky Discussions, uh, even in your dad's van. Uh, you're looking good and it looks like a cold weather over in Sheffield. How's things? Yeah, it's not warm, mate. I won't lie. So I know where I'd rather be at the minute, put it that way. Um, yeah, so my, my, my little brother's my little brother's got a belt um, and I, it's my day off today, so I thought I'd help him out with it um, and get some stuff done on there. But um, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit colder than than where my fiance is at the minute right now in, in Joburg. Yeah, it's very warm. Yeah, so not just a a journalist, but also a you know hardworking man working on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I worked for this is definitely not why you why you're talking to me, but I worked for for years with my dad. My dad's a decorator, um, so my I learned a trade growing up. Um, so aside from my journalism stuff, I I spent a few years as a painter and decorator as well. So yeah. He, he, he likes to call on me every now and again when he needs a hand. So this is essentially a South African podcast, but uh, you know, since we're talking to you, we we should and we must talk about Sheffield Wednesday, even if it is just for a few minutes. Um, your yeah, team keep is, it brief, mate. Yeah, <laughs> your team is not doing so good at the moment. Uh, obviously, the points deduction didn't help at the start of the season. Um, what yeah. is it like supporting Sheffield Wednesday and, and why, say now there's a soccer fan out there who doesn't have a team su- to support, why should they support Sheffield Wednesday? I wish I could give them reasons, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right now, there's nothing to uh, nothing to really write out, write home about. But no, look, at, you know, for me, the I worked in South Africa for the best part of 10 years and it felt like the for me, the next step was always to get back to the UK at some point. You know, you want to work in the biggest league in the world. And, you know, for me, it was always a sort of stepping stone towards the Premier League and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but writing about Sheffield Wednesday is is a dream. It's um, anyone who supports a football club knows what it's like to have that sort of ingrained into you. No matter how bad things might get, it's just there. And, you know, there, there was a moment, Wednesday played Bournemouth a couple of weeks back. And then... Um, the the sky cameras were right behind me where I was sat. And obviously there's no fans in there, so there's no noise. And Wednesday scored a last minute winner. It was like the 91st minute. And on the video, on Sky's video, you could actually hear me celebrating, which I'm not <laughs> sure is um is the right is it's not probably particularly professional, but um, you know, when you support a club, I the way I see it, as long as I can be objective, as long as I can criticize when they need to be criticized and you know, I'm not too hard on them if they deserve some some kind of praise because I'm feeling emotional or whatever. As long as I can take my emotion out of my work, I don't think it's a particular problem having uh, having a football club as a journalist. I know it's a big thing in South Africa. You know, mm-hmm. in South Africa, people always talk about, you know, he's a Chiefs fan or he's a Pirates fan or whatever. But for me, as long as you can be objective in the work that you do, you know, none of us grew up thinking I might be a journalist one day, I'd better not pick a team. You know, that's not how it works. We, we, we all get into the game because we have an affiliation to somebody or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I find it with with myself um, being able to write about my football club is is a, an honour. Generally, I, I feel like it's, I'm I'm privileged, especially now. You know, now nobody is is going to football games. Um, I'm part of a very exclusive club of people who are allowed to watch Sheffield Wednesday live, and you know that that doesn't um, it, that that sort of fact is not lost on me. Put it that way. 
It is quite a big thing. Um, it's interesting you bring it up. It is quite a big thing in South Africa where you know, journalists aren't allowed to have a fan, uh, the club they support. You're not allowed to be a fan. Yeah. Um, you know, over the years, you probably were a supporter of 20 different clubs in South Africa. Uh, Chiefs yeah. half of the time, Pirates, <laughs> Sundowns. Um, how do you how do you do how did you deal with it over the ten years? And do you think you know as as you know as journalists we are in the end of the day also allowed to be fans of the sport? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I mean, no matter who you are, you grew up supporting a team. You know, whether whether that's a local team in South Africa, whether it's a team in the UK, wherever you are, everyone supports a team. You know, that's why you get into football um, because you have a love for it so much so that you want to do it as a job. Um, for me, I was lucky in the sense that I could genuinely say I do not support that team. And it's not that people always thought that it was just me making an excuse, but it, like I generally, not to sound flippant, but I couldn't care less. You know, like for me, the, the way I always saw it in South Africa is I have colleagues, I have friends. I mean, obviously, we, we were speaking when you were working for Ajax. So, you know, with, with someone like yourself, it was nice to see Ajax do well when you were there because you're a friend and you know that's the, the, like I said the way I always saw it was that there was pretty much somebody at every single club in South Africa where if they won a game there was somebody I could be happy for so you know I never really had any affiliation because I didn't grow up in South Africa so there was no reason for me to have a team um, but yeah it's, it's weird that people want to sort of it's almost like they want to label you because it makes them feel better you know if you say something negative about their club um, especially if it's right and it hits a little bit a little bit close to home if they can say oh well you support the opposition then it, I suppose it makes them feel a little bit better so how did you end up in South Africa for those who are listening to the podcast and you know don't know your backstory you obviously came here I think it was during the World Cup 2010 uh, and ended, yeah. up, ended up staying for for close to a decade or more than a decade uh, how, did you end, yeah. how did you end up in South Africa and how did you end up at Sokoloduma so the long story is um, I came to South Africa in 2006 for the just on a family holiday. My dad, my dad read a lot of Wilbur Smith growing up. Mm. So for his his 50th birthday, my mom bought like a family holiday. We all came out to South Africa. We did a bit of a tour. We um, we started off in in Cape Town, went up to Joburg, did a bit of KZN, and all that kind of stuff. And I just fell in love with the place. You know, I. I just had an affiliation to South Africa straight away. And I, I, I can't explain to you what it was. I don't know what it was about South Africa. I went in 2006 and I remember it was probably within the first week of me being there. And I said to my mom, I was 16. I said to my mom, I'm going back for the World Cup. And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course you are. You're 16. You think you're going to get your ass together there for the World Cup. But I did. Uh, I saved up. You know, I, I did like a 12-month trip around the world that I'd sort of did as a gap year. Um and I started off in, in South Africa for the World Cup. So came in 2010 and I was meant to be working for the Daily Voice, actually. Um, I, I had a sort of internship through a company called Projects Abroad where I was going to be staying with a host family um, just outside Grassy Park, actually, in Cape Town. Um, so I was staying with a host family there and I was meant to be working for the Daily Voice. But then probably three weeks after I was due to arrive, so three weeks before I was due to arrive, I got a, a phone call and someone said, would you mind would you mind being a guinea pig for us? We've got this potential opportunity at a company called Sokoloduma. You're the first one who, who'd be doing it. Would you mind? I was like, so you're asking me if I want to go work for a football publication during the World Cup? Yeah, I reckon <laughs> I can do that. Sounds That's good. Um, so I did that and I did a, a month. And then after I'd done my month internship, they asked me to stick around for a little bit um, 
so I did a few bits after that for two weeks until the World Cup finished. And and then when I'd done that, uh, the guy in charge, Peter Detoy, um, Peter, um, who you know, obviously, obviously as well, um, Peter said, look, we'd love to have you on. You know, if we, we like the work that you do, we like the sort of energy you bring to it. Um, would you consider coming to work for us? And, you know, I had this whole trip planned. This was right at the start of my gap year. So I had like 11 months worth of traveling still to do. And I was like, look, I've saved up for, uh, forever to, to do this. I can't just sort of pull the plug. Um, and I, would, I was meant to be going to university in the UK. I'd been accepted into a couple of universities. I was going to sort of weigh up and possibly go to. And um, yeah, so I went off on my many way and I thought, you know, they'd probably just say that to all the guys who come along. And that was kind of the end of it. And then I was in Australia about six months down the line. And I got an email from Peter who said, look, we weren't joking. Like, we'd love to have you back. So... I figured, you know, well, you know, a year, a year in South Africa, that won't hurt. So I sort of deferred from university and um I thought I'll go to South Africa for a year. Um a year turned to ten, basically. Um obviously worked at Laduma in Cape Town for I think I was there for about 18 months in Cape Town. And then I think in in you you all know as much as anybody, mate, you hit a bit of a glass ceiling in South Africa when you're when you're down in the Western Cape. Um you know, after 18 months or so, I just sort of came to the realization that if I wanted to sort of get to the peak of my powers in South Africa, that I had to be in Joburg. Um, my fiance got a job with 5FM and it just kind of, the stars aligned a little bit. Uh, so I, I shifted up to, to Joburg and I was, I think, there for about seven and a half years um, before I, before I obviously moved back to the UK now. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a hell of a journey and what was meant to be a, a month-long internship turned into a, a 10-year love affair. Why do you think you became so good at your job? Uh, you know, in South Africa, I think everyone referred to you when they were looking at transfers in the South African market. Uh, I think, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't such a big deal, you know, the whole transfer deadline thing, but it's gradually picked up in, in South Africa. And, you know, we know how big a deal it is in South Africa. Everyone watching Sky Sports on, on deadline day. Um, why do you think you became so good in, in, at your job in South Africa? I mean, you're being very kind there. Um, <laughs> I consider myself to be okay at my job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think for me, what, one of the things I tried to do when I moved to South Africa was I tried to find a niche. I tried to find something that nobody else was doing. And the transfer thing was was sort of one thing that I sort of pinpointed and thought nobody is really hitting this hard. You know, no one is doing the whole, like I said, the Sky Sports News thing, sort of rep- rep- reporting each and every aspect of a transfer. You know, when a transfer happens, it's more than just somebody signs, you know, nowadays you'll see people talking about, you know, terms have been agreed and offers been accepted, you know, he's having his medical, all these kind of different things. And the way I saw it was, it was always about sort of trying to tell the story and trying to sort of give a, a narrative from start to finish as much as you, as much as you possibly can. And um, the other thing that, that and, and this is probably, it sounds really obvious and probably quite daft, but reliability, you know, I, the way that I worked, I would only ever put my name to stuff that I could verify myself. Um, you know, and that's no disrespect to sort of colleagues and other people in the industry, but I can't stand by something if I don't know it mm. myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so when I was sort of using my social media the way that I did, and I, I think that when I arrived, not many people were using, using it the same way that I was. Um, I think that was sort of one way I got sort of got ahead of the game a little bit. Um, 
I was using social media in a different way to to what a lot of the the guys who came before me were. Um, and like I say, it was it was all about being reliable because people people don't forget. <laughs> you know, you get a few stories wrong, and all of a sudden, people are like ah, but you said this happened, you said this happened. You know, there's obviously the famous Rainford Calabo one was a few, well, a long time ago now, but with Calabo, like, you know, you still there was a lot. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot said from different people. And, you know, obviously that, that transfer fell through in the end. Um, and, and I think what some people forget with a transfer is it's never, it's never done until it's done. And just because something didn't happen in the end, doesn't mean it was never going to happen. Doesn't mean it was never on the cards. And and that's what I was talking about earlier about sort of telling the story and and, and sort of having that that free flowing narrative that goes all the way through it. But like I say, for me, the 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 thing that I sort of tried to find was something that made me different because there were a lot of guys in our industry who were trying to do trying to do the job to the best of their ability. But if you're making the same noise as everybody else you just kind of drown into it. Whereas if you're making a different noise, all of a sudden hear that and they go, hang on a second, that's a bit different. Let me go check that out. Um, so one of the things that I did as, as well as the transfer stuff was the players abroad. And that sort of became my thing. You know, I, it started off where I was just reporting results and then it got to a stage where like, you know, I was, I remember like scrolling through the internet for hours and hours trying to find a South African, like a, a goal that a South African had scored in the Belgian third division, just because it was something that I sort of knew I had to get. And I was making gifts out of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was, that kind of became my thing. And now you see people like like Prince, who's, who's doing a, a really good job with that now. Um, obviously, Farpo, Soccer Doom, a kickoff. Every, everybody's covering the, um, the sort of players abroad. But I think when I was doing it, it was, I, I suppose I was a bit, a bit, earlier to the party if you know what I mean yeah um, and the way that I was covering it I, I, I wasn't just um, I wasn't just sort of saying so and so scored I was like I say spending ages trying to fight it got to a point when like like with China Dino and Lovu would send me video like Dino would be like I've scored this goal by the way um, if you want to post it you can post it and I was like excellent that'll do because Searching the internet for Chinese football videos is very difficult because yeah. they have their, their whole different internet there like you don't find it on Google so much um, but yeah I really enjoy that aspect because it because it, it gives you a um, I suppose a broadness of knowledge you know you watch a lot more football in different places so you get to understand um, a bit more about the standard of leagues do you know what I mean like yeah. it was one of the things I always said people would criticise for, for instance Dino and Lovru like with Dino people would always have a crack at the Chinese league and it's like have you watched it though and, and it, this is not to say whether it's good or bad but if you haven't watched it you can't say um, and it, and I think for me the 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 point with that was that that's exactly how people think of the PSL. You know, you ask outside South Africa what people think of the PSL, and they will have either no knowledge of it or they'll go, "Well, it's 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 African football. You know, it mm. can't be that good." But unless you've watched it, you can't have an opinion on it. True, true. We can't talk about players abroad and not touch on Percy Tau. Uh, obviously, now playing in the Premier League. How big of a move was that for for South Africa and for him? And you know, how excited were you to to have another South African? Because you are South African in part um, <laughs> in, in England. Yeah, look, I think I, I think the thing with Percy's move was it was as much as it's a great move for him personally. I think it was kind of symbolic. 
You know, it, it was the fact that, yeah, look, without Brexit, I think Percy probably still wouldn't be playing in the UK. Brexit opened a door that was probably not going to be available to him. So, you know, that's uh, that's amazing. That's lovely to see. And um, I'm really, really pleased for him because I know how hard Percy works and I know the kind of attitude that he's got. And the, the thing that I think sets Percy out from a lot of the other sort of South African footballers and probably footballers in general um, is that he has that desire to be better, that desire to be the best possible player that he can be. And, you know, until he has, has reached a level where he thinks, you know, I can't do any better than this, he will always strive to try and improve himself. And I think that is, you know, that's testament to him and his, his upbringing, it's testament to his personality. And, you know, I think it's amazing. But, like I say, on top of that, the, the symbol of situation, because of how long it's been since we had a South African in the Premier League, um, I mean, South Africans in England are rare. Um, so to be playing in the Premier League is is huge and it just I think it I suppose it reignites a bit of a flame you know for for I think a lot of players that people always talk about playing in Europe and playing in the Premier League but for a long time it just felt like a pipe dream because the work permit situation made it so difficult to achieve that I think people probably to some extent stopped thinking it could happen because yeah. there was so much that had to fall in, into place for you to achieve that level of getting to the Premier League. And a lot of it didn't even rest on your actual ability. You know, it was other sort of outside things going on that you needed to rely on. Whereas now, Percy walking out in a Premier League game for the first time, I think for an entire generation of South African footballers, they will go, right, that's the level now. You know, that's that's where we can get to. And I think... Like I say, as much as it's amazing for Percy, and I'm absolutely chuffed from him, I'm, I'm, I'm really gutted that I can't go because under normal circumstances, you know, his first game, I would have, I would have made a plan to get there, um, but obviously with with the the COVID situation, it's not possible. But hopefully, I will get a chance to go and see him. And like I say, it's it's amazing for him, but I think it's it's also a hell of a lot bigger than than Percy as well. Yeah, most definitely. I think it was the first time in four years after Stephen Pino played for Sunderland that we had a South African in the Premier League. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think South Africa needs to do to have more players playing at that level? Because it's not just the Premier League; it's across to you know La Liga, uh, Serie A. We don't have any players in prominent players in any of the top divisions apart from Percy at this point in time. Um, what do we What do we need to do as a country to produce more high level talent? Yeah, I mean, there's a million dollar question. In it. If if I knew the answer to that, I'd be heading up Safa. Um, you know. It, <laughs> It's it's really tough because there's there's so many sort of aspects of it, you know. There's and I think to some extent, um, I think South Africa's uh, to, I don't not, not really sure how to word South Africa's commercial um, sort of success and the PSL's commercial success, I think has somehow as in some ways has hurt hurt the country, um, because I think if you look at some of the more successful. Um, nations in Africa you know you look at your Ghanas and your Cameroons and your Egypts and well, sorry Egypt's a bad example but um, you know some of the other more prominent African nations there is a there is a need to go out and yeah. get as high as you can because it's the only way that you can make a living you know and, and, and further your family further yourself you know if you are you know, no, no disrespect but if you're growing up in Cameroon you need to get out. 
because you will never earn the kind of money you want to earn by playing in the Cameroon like National League. That it, it won't happen. Whereas for South Africa, you can play for Kaiser Chiefs and you can earn as much as what you could earn for you know playing for a championship team in England. You know, there, there are players in South Africa earning six, seven, eight million rand a year. Why would you leave? You know, if if you, if you don't have that same attitude that Percy's got, you know, Percy could have happily sat in, in in South Africa and could have become the highest paid player in the country, and and he's still young enough. He he could be a multi multi billionaire, um, sorry, billionaire strong, <laughs> multi multi million um, by the time he's finished, and you know he would have had it easy because he could have just maintained that same level and he would have been all right. But you know, the, the, that's what I'm saying. What makes him different is that. He, that wasn't enough for him, and I think for some players, um, it is enough. So they don't have, they don't have that same drive to to get out and and sort of best themselves. And you know, by following on from bettering yourself, you're better in the nation. Um, I think that is changing. You know, I think you look at the the younger generation of Bafana players now, and it's there. You know, you can see that it's there. You know, you've got your sort of generation of youngsters who have got out a little bit earlier, who are, who've got that drive to sort of, like I said, be as good as they can be. But it's, it's far bigger than just that. You know, I would like to, I wish I could say that that was the only reason, but it's not, you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, you, I think you speak to, I would go as far as saying you could speak to every single journalist in South African football and they would all have at least one reason why they think it's not going where it should be. Um, and a lot of those reasons would be different to the other journalists, to be honest. You still keep a you know close eye on South African League, uh, the DSTV Premier League, yeah, as, as we call it now. Uh, we can't you know, not talk about Kaiser Chiefs and their decline, um, obviously coming so close to winning the league last season, yeah. losing it on the final day the way they did. Uh, and then also having a transfer ban, all of that adds up, but it was... It was way before that that their problems have started. It's been you know multiple years now without a trophy, uh, you know, which is you know a crisis um, for a club you know as big as Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, what do you think has gone wrong? Um, you know, their problems started while you were still in South Africa, and has just been growing. Yeah. yeah, it feels like with Chiefs that they sort of looks like they fell behind the curve. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like they. Um, I, th- I think the best way to put it is that they, I think for a long time, Kaiser Chiefs relied on being Kaiser Chiefs and that was enough. You know, when it came to signings, when it came to the way that people approached them when they went up against them, that being Kaiser Chiefs was enough to get them through a lot of the time because people were sort of fearful of playing them. They'd get players because they knew that it's Kaiser Chiefs, it's a big brand and, and you know, you, you could tell like I say, long before I left, that that was changing a little bit. You know, the, there was a, a time when, you know, if if Kaiser Chiefs offered the same amount as any other team in the league, people would go to Chiefs because it's Kaiser Chiefs. And, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest teams in, in the country, one of the biggest teams yeah. in the continent. Um, but by the time I left, you know, if if you were looking at Kaiser Chiefs as a football club, if there was a player who was wanted by Chiefs and Sundowns and Vitz and Cape Town City, if Rand for Rand, if they were offering the same money, I don't think the decision was as cut and dry as it used to be. Um, we saw it. You know, we saw it. How many times did the Chiefs get linked with a player and he ended up at Vitz? 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was not, they don't have that same draw that they used to have anymore. And obviously the, the points, uh, sorry, the, um, no, I'm talking about points. That's too much time on Sheffield Wednesday. Um, <laughs> the, the transfer ban has hurt them. There's no doubt. And, you know, Gavin's got a tough, tough ask on his hands. And I think the, the fact that Ernst managed to get them to second was pretty impressive, really. Um, because that decline has been apparent for a long time. You know, since, since Stuart Baxter left, it is, it's not really fell into place for him. Um, the signings they've made, you know, have not really been up to Kaiser Chiefs quality. I mean, how many times have we seen Chiefs sign players and then they get released yeah. a year later, two years later, having not played any games? I mean, you can you can reel off a list of players that have signed mm-hmm. for Chiefs and left without making any sort of impact at the club. Um, and that's something that needs to change for them. But I think the 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 one the one main thing for them is they've they've lost all sense of fear factor. You know, they, they don't have it anymore. You, you look at the Amazulu game and obviously at 1-1, Chiefs have just got back into it. Um, you know, they get, um, <laughs> you get to a situation where they are 1-1 and you think they sort of take the ascendancy then because the other team gets scared and they're like, this is Kaiser Chiefs. We had our chance and now we've blown it. And then that all kind of builds up. Yeah. But now what happens is they go and lose that game 2-1 because because Amazulu go and it's Chiefs in it, you know? Yeah. And and it, they they don't have that same like I say that same fear and mental aspects of of what Kaiser Chiefs are or were is just like I say it's gone. It's not there anymore. It's almost like they passed that fear factor on to Mama Lady Sundowns who well, still unbeaten and, you know, the Pizza Musumani dynasty started two or three years into your reign at Soccer Leduma. Um, My reign. I mean, reign. like I was the most important there. <laughs> yeah, too much time writing about football. Uh, talk, <laughs> talking like you're the head coach. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, get back and get back to Sundowns, still unbeaten this season. Uh, you know, won five league titles under, under Pizza Musumani. Uh, obviously, the Champions League, F Super Cup, the list goes on. Uh, you know, what have they done right? Uh, you know, there was a point in time a few years back where they just signed for signing sake. I remember them signing three or four players from one club, you know, Black Leopards signing Monama and Ramagalela and then just releasing them a few months later. But it seems like they've ironed out everything and, uh, uh, you know, the new coaches have picked up where, where, where Ms. Mosamani left off. Yeah, Pizzo did an incredible job at Sundowns. Um Pitso turned them into the best team in the country. I, I don't. I don't think that that you know. I, I know that there are club allegiances and there's things like that, but I don't think anyone can really argue over the last ten years. So that Sundowns are the most successful team in in South Africa, and what they've achieved, what they achieved in the Pitso is incredible. Um, so much so that that Pitso not only was a success while he's there, but don't get me wrong, I'm taking nothing away from from Milani and and all the guys who are there, um, Pizzo set that up. You know, Pizzo has, has set the sort of the wheel in motion there. Um, and he's set them up for years to come with the the sort of things that he's put in place and the, the way that he worked and the standards that he set um, to be a professional footballer at Malawi Sundowns. And, you know, they, I, I think it would be, it would be remiss of me not to mention the money. Do you know what I mean? I think it's it's like talking about Man City and not mentioning the fact that they can afford to go, you know, blow right. 40, 50 million pounds regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, Sundowns 
are able to um, attract the best players. But it, but they were they're able to attract the best players for two reasons. Firstly, because they're incredibly wealthy and they can, you know, blow everybody else out of the water financially. But also because they're an incredibly good football team who play great football. So they they they're a double-barreled attack now at Sundowns, and you know it feels like they've over the last few years become a little bit smarter with the signs they made. Like you like you touched on, they they're a little bit more um, a bit more quantity over quality sorry quality over quantity than they used to be um and i i think it's it's interesting with some of the players where because of the reputation they did have certain players went there and you thought well well that's it you know they they had this sort of reputation as being career killers for certain players where you you knew they were going to go there and it was wasn't going to work out and there are still some of those you know there's always going to be a few hit and misses every club every club hasn't yeah, but you look at someone, um, someone like a Lyle Kay, for instance. You know, you look at Lyle and the way that he has established himself at Sundowns. Um, you know, I've always been a big fan of Lyle. I think he's a great player, but I don't think everybody had the had the full confidence in Lyle that he was going to go on and become one of the best left backs in the country. You know what I mean? Like they've they've been really really smart in the sort of players they've brought in and. Um, I think that that's a massive, massive credit for, for Pizzo because um, you know he didn't get to where he is and achieve what he's achieved by by fluke. He's a uh, he's incredibly good at what he does, and um, I think Sundowns are going to be a force for for years to come. And I, I think that they are a team with the resources that they have. They're a team that should be probably doing to the PSL what what a Bayern regularly doing in the Bundesliga. Before I let you get back to work, um, if you could maybe just, you know, mention a few players that that stood out during your ten years in South Africa. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of players that have caught the eye. If you think of guys like Kamabiliat, you know, Kermit Erasmus is still playing at a very high level. Um, which players stand out over the ten years you were here? It, I mean, you know, we all have our favourites. Is there anyone in particular, or do you have a few? Um. Yeah, I mean, look, for, for different reasons. I, I think, for me, one that really stands out is, is Schlompo. Schlompo, the reason Schlompo stands out is because I think over the entire time I was in South Africa, he was the only player that was consistently good. KK was, was like so like consistently solid throughout my entire time in South Africa. And I don't think you can really say that about anybody else. No. You know, there was, there's been players who have been better than him. Do you know what I mean? But they've not done it as regularly as he has. You know, you, you look at sort of Karma Billy at his peak. When Karma was flying at Sundance, he was, he could be unplayable sometimes. You know, Karma ability wise is, yeah, ridiculous. He's a great footballer. But Slumpo's done it for over a decade now. You know, he's been consistently good for that, that length of time. It's, and, and I think that's amazing um, to have that level of consistency and, you know, anyone who talks to KK knows knows why. You know, you 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 speak to him and you realize the sort of level of professionalism that he's got and the way that he works and the way the way he goes about his business. And it's it's absolutely no surprise to see him sort of achieve what he's achieved. Um, but in, I mean, Shabba always sticks out for me. Shabba, I think Shabba just because you know the the World Cup started it. You know, I remember when I'd first I'd first come over to South Africa. And, Watching his goal go in, I was in a bar in Cape Town with, you know, I'd only been there about three days when I'd when I'd just moved over to start my internship. 
and it's sort of he's he's iconic. You know, Shab- yeah. Shabbat is iconic. He's a he's an iconic person. He's an iconic footballer, um, and he also a great pro. Scored some ridiculous goals. What well, weirdly last week, I don't know why why it popped into my head, but his goal against Free State Stars that he yeah, scored. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it on popped into my head. Just the technique of it, you know, yeah. is that that left foot is, um, and I think, you know, he always stuck out for me. Kermit's one. Kermit just, I'm not sure. In terms of raw natural ability, I don't think South Africa has produced a player in my time as good as Kurt, as Kurt. You know, in terms of his, like what he was, his natural born ability to, as a footballer and his, his football brain. I don't, I don't know if there's any, anybody better. Um, Percy stuck out, Keegan Dolly stuck out. Keegan was great to watch. When Keegan was flying at Sundowns, I mean, yeah, he was brilliant. CBD. But there's been, there's been a lot. There's, yeah, the CBD was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, I think Willard Katsan is also one as well. Um, I know that he's, he's become a bone of contention now. People like to talk talk about Willard, but there was a period, you know, when when Stuart Baxter came in, and for a couple of years afterwards, probably where Willard was the best center, defensive midfielder in the country. And yeah. oh, I, there's always a story that that I was told about um, about Willard. I'll just I'll keep it short, but basically, what what happened with Willard was he went into you know when Stuart Baxter arrived. Um, Willard was, he was known as, he was just a breaker. You know, he, he would just hurt people. <laughs> and, and you know, Stuart Baxter, so I've had a chat with him. Uh, he Apparently he's the only one who used to turn, go up to training in shin pads because um, he was like, he, he was that committed to the cause that he was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get hurt in training. So he always used to wear shinies for training. Um, but yeah, they weren't sure, Stuart, Stuart Baxter wasn't sure um what he was going to get out of Willard because he wasn't sure if there was a footballer in there. Um, he knew he had sort of the physical attributes, but wasn't sure if there was a footballer there. Um, and he had a chat with Willard and Willard was like, I want to be the best footballer that I can be and took on board everything that everyone was saying, you know, whether it was Stuart, whether it was the other coaches, he took everything on board. And I think that's one thing that will always stick out for me about Willard Katsandi is that he was just a sponge and if if you give him instructions and you you sort of use him properly, you know, obviously as as age catches up with you, it does make a difference. But yeah, Willard Willard was when when Chiefs were sort of dominating, mm. they, they didn't dominate without without Willard Katsandi. It's, yeah, it's that simple. On that point, uh, we should probably talk just briefly about Itumulin Kune uh, going through a bit of a bad patch at this point in time. But you know, I think it's easy to forget how good he was mm-hmm. at his peak. And his distribution is revered around the world, um, you know, as being one of the best. Uh, you know, how good is it to Kune and, you know, how good was he at his peak? Yeah, it too, his peak was ridiculous. You know, I always, I was just, there's always a bit of sadness with me with it too. I always wonder how good he could have been if he'd gone. Do you know what I mean? If he'd, yeah. if he'd gone somewhere else and sort of been able to take it to that next level because... You know, when he was at his peak, I, I I mean this, I don't know if there is a, a keeper in the world that had the kind of distribution that he has. Like, you know, you look at some of the best keepers that you talk about now, your Edisons and people like that who have got that kind of, you know, ability to create. And when when Itsu was was really flying, like I say, I, I I don't know if there was a better keeper in the world, but those sort of sidewinder kicks that he that he sort of became known for, 
the way that he would start attacks regularly with those was amazing to see. Like, I know it's kind of route one a little bit, but when yeah. it's done with that kind of class and that technique, you know, even if you don't like route one football, you all you can do is sit back and admire. You know, when he's picking picking long range passes to Shabba out wide and yeah, it's just, it's really, really, it was good to see. And it's, it's like I say, for me, I think with it too, there's always going to be that sort of tinge of sadness because I I just wonder how far he could have gone if, if, you know, if things had panned out a little bit differently for him. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Joe, thanks for joining me from the comfort of your dad's van. It's been great catching up and, <laughs> and good luck in Sheffield and good luck with Sheffield Wednesday. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll be on the up very soon and we hope to see them in the Premier League. If not, over the next, fingers crossed. well, definitely not this season, but maybe over the next two years. Uh, fingers crossed. Definitely, definitely. Thanks very much for your time, and it's nice to know that I'm not, uh, I've not been forgotten. Uh, definitely not. Cheers, Joe. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Disky Discussions. If you have any questions or guests you'd like me to have on the show, please hit me up at ab underscore basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Stay safe, like, subscribe, aware.